Welcome to the Plan B Preneur Podcast. This podcast is for professionals, entrepreneurs, aspiring entrepreneurs, and leaders who want to create greater income and impact. On the podcast, we explore strategies, tools, and techniques for creating multiple streams of income, launching your entrepreneurial dreams, and living a life of impact. We bring to you amazing guests and experts, as well as practical opportunities to help you achieve your entrepreneurial goals. This is the Plan B Premier Podcast, and I am your host, Demi. All right, welcome everyone to another episode of the Plan B Premier Podcast. I'm your host, Demi, and today it is such a special moment because I am bringing to you an amazing individual um, who is one of the people I've been looking forward to having this chat with for a very long time. I have Sarah Leadum in the house. Sarah is the co-founder and the chief operating officer of Africa Entrepreneur Collective uh, that works across a number of East African countries. But I'm not going to spoil the gist or get ahead of myself. I'm going to let Sarah tell us all about that. But first, Sarah, I want to welcome you. Thank you for joining me and every one of us on the Plan Premier Podcast. Mm-hmm. Demi, I'm delighted to be with you. Thank you so much for inviting me and hello to everybody who decided to listen in. So glad to be here. That's great stuff. That's great stuff. And Sarah, like we were chatting before we got on to record the podcast, I love your background. I love the setup of the colors and everything. (laughs) And for those who are watching on video, you can probably see that thoughtfulness. So that tells a bit about Sarah already and uh, the thoughtful way that she does stuff and this is just beautiful setup, and it's 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 great to to have you. One because I admire your work uh, that you're doing, but also um as a person, I'm just inspired by a number of mm. things about you. Your your generosity, your no bullshit, get the job done. Kind of, there's a lot about you. <laughs> but uh, uh, maybe you start. We we're gonna start with, and uh, uh, one of the ways that we usually do this is we wanna know just a little bit about you, and then we talk about what you're doing. So your organization yeah. and your work, and then we are going to then, from your work, we're going to go back to how did you get to that point. So if you will, let's hear a bit about you. Awesome. Thanks, Demi. Um, well, I am I'm in my house in Rwanda. Um, so this is a piece of artwork from Rwanda. It's called Imigongo, and uh, we also have an office and. Ethiopia. So we've got the Ethiopian blanket. So we've got um, some of my work represented. And and I think that also fits with who I am, that there's not a ton of separation for me sometimes between work life and home life, um, because doing this work can sometimes be all encompassing, mostly in a good way, um, and really, really love my job. Um, But I've been living in Rwanda for about nine years. Um, I'm American, but have not been in the U.S. Uh, as a place of doing work for a very long time. Um, when I was there, I was doing everything from affordable housing development, um, working with people living with HIV and AIDS, doing education advocacy work, um, lots of different social justice issues, but started uh, African Entrepreneur Collective in 2012 and got us kicked off in Rwanda. So that's where we've been ever since and expanded since then. Well, that's good stuff. We're going to, we're, we're going to come back to that initial oh. part of the story, but now Africa Entrepreneurs Collective 
um, is the work that you're doing now in Rwanda. What is that about? Um, mm -hmm. uh, can you tell us yeah. a bit? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so African Entrepreneur Collective uh, is in Rwanda, Kenya, and Ethiopia. And we work with entrepreneurs to grow their businesses. Um, one of the things that's special about us is that we also work with refugee entrepreneurs. Um, there are thousands of refugees across the whole continent, but uh, a large cluster in particular in East Africa. And so we're using private sector approaches to also making sure that people who, regardless of where they are, um, regardless of their life circumstances, can have access to growing their own business and taking care of their family and solving problems in their community and doing all the things that entrepreneurship can bring to an individual and their community. So we, we have, um, we do training, we do consulting, and then we also do access to finance, which is pretty special. A lot of times there's organizations that say, oh, we can get you investment ready and then we'll do some matchmaking to investors or we'll teach you how to pitch. Um, but for us, we get to know the businesses and we can just invest in them directly. So that's it's an extra tool that we have to, to support businesses to grow. Love it. It's brilliant. And you, you say that you do you use private sector approaches. Um, what, what do you mean by that? And how is that different from some of the other approaches out there that people could be potentially yeah. benefiting from? Yeah, no, great question. Um, so a lot of times the traditional humanitarian approach, um, particularly with working with vulnerable populations, is to say, okay, we're going to give you a package of aid, right? So, um, for example, in the Kakuma refugee camp where we work in northern Kenya, um, refugees get a stipend from UNHCR, the UN agency that, that supports refugees, and they get a stipend for food from the World Food Program. And they are able then to, uh, you know, shop for the things that they need. So it's it's like, here's your, here's your small amount of money. Um, but the problem is, is that the number of refugees continue to increase. The number of aid dollars continue to decrease. And uh, refugees are really pinched in the middle. Um, so, for example, uh, some of our clients right now in Kenya, for a family of six, they are basically have about $20 a month um, to feed a family of six, which doesn't really work. So for us, we're like, okay, you know, there's no reason why you can't have thriving businesses in refugee camps. There's cash flowing through. People have ideas. People have skills. Um, so why not treat it like any other community? and invest in refugees and invest in people to grow businesses. And we did not know anything about working with refugees when we got into this. Um, we, in fact, started working with small businesses, young entrepreneurs, tech companies, potato chip companies, um, all kinds of different companies. And then we were approached to say, hey, you've got a good track record of working with small businesses. Why not try refugees as well? And we were like, mm, I don't know, is that a thing? Um, and gave it a try and we're sort of blown away. So so now we, we don't make a distinction between refugee entrepreneurs and other entrepreneurs. We just serve everybody um, who has a business that they want to grow. Um, but I only call it out because it is sort of a different approach to what is happening in a lot of, a lot of places. 
Yeah, no, that's good. I love that you called it out. And I think one of the reasons I was asking as well, because when you, that is a population, like you said, that normally is looked on as, is obviously vulnerable, but also yeah. um, there's not a lot of empowerment in the system where the aid is just given. It's a vicious cycle. And I, I'm a fan of private sector approaches. I'm a fan of business. I'm a fan of exchange, because like you said, the money's flowing there. And so, of course, there can be solutions there. So, uh, and the money can be exchanged, right? You just need to build the right relationships and the, and the right products um, to, to make that happen. And I love it. Um, that that's, that's doing a lot more in the long run, hopefully, than just handing out stuff. So this is, this is exactly. loadable work. And, and I can imagine you mentioned that you didn't always start out thinking about working with the refugee population. And um, how did you, because this is a curious question, how, because the mindsets and the approaches are already sort of steeped because of the work that existing mm -hmm. partners have been doing mm -hmm. in that space. How did you break through? How did you overcome maybe your own assumptions? Um, uh, I don't yeah. know, uh, naivety or something, you know, how did you yeah. get to the point where this is now stable and how did you bring the recipients over as well? Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Great, great question. Um, I mean, I think the, one of the core ethos or sort of like driving principles of the work that we do is that, um, really any, anybody can be an entrepreneur as long as there is a good product market fit and somebody wants to figure that out. Right. And so, um, you know, the, the, the first entrance that we had in going to work in refugee camps, we basically said, look, we don't want anybody else's funding to do this. Right. Like, so we, we were just like, we're going to take our own funds that we have and we're going to do a very, very small pilot. Right. So like, as you would do with the, with an MVP, right. Like you're not going to go in with too many assumptions. You're going to go in with some learning questions. You're going to test some things. But the way that we would advise any entrepreneur to do, like go in, test, just do the minimum amount, get some user insights, get some customer perspectives. And if it works, cool. If it doesn't, figure out how to pivot. So that was really the mindset that we went in with it, um, which, you know, I feel like every entrepreneur should do wherever they go, right? So there are the extra layers of um, uh prejudice or bias, um, you know, people, because you're entering into a, a market which people don't really interact with on a day-to-day -day basis, there are assumptions to overcome. But I think what we, how we showed up and how I hope that most people do is just to really come with that creative mindset, to come with the, you know, the the desire to just like test and pivot and iterate and and that's what we did and and honestly it was it was our staff that that helped us decide that we were going to do this in the first place so in in rwanda um just because of the history of the country there's a lot of people who are one or two relationships family members away from an experience of being a refugee and so we put this decision to our staff and said Hey guys, did we do this? Do we try this out? And everybody felt very compelled by it because they had actually seen from their own experience that there were so many um, refugees that that they had known, and how many misconceptions there were, and how important it was for there to be opportunities available. So it was really, you know, I think also when you 
open up and and make sure to get perspectives from other people besides yourself that's really where you can sort of test out what's possible or not and we did that with both our staff and the clients so really really grateful that we did no that's good that's good so it's um really leaning into the stories and the experiences of the people at the forefront of the problem as well and um, really learning from that bringing that beginner's mindset yeah i love it and now, like you that's say, one the, you... that's one of the values that we have as an organization. So the um, uh, on if you are walking our office, any of our offices, so we now have, I think, about 13 offices across East Africa. If you walk into any one of our offices, you will see at least some of our company values up on the wall. And uh, in our Kigali office, we have this big sign that says, all problems on the continent have solutions on the continent. And that is like core to our ethos. So it's not that we're coming in and saying, oh, you know, I have this, I have this idea, right? But that we're coming in and we're saying, we have these tools. Communities can decide how they want to use these tools to make the changes that their communities need. So that's, that's really the, the gift that we bring. And um, also the, the gift that we get back is is seeing what communities do with the resources and and we get to be amazed all the time. That's good. I know you are the perfect people for this kind of job. <laughs> um, and, and I'm just curious. So I have two more questions before I sort of like dive into what all this means for you and how you got into all this. Um, the question is, so there's, um, the first question is around, does this operation itself bring you does it break even? Does it give you sufficient profit or do you have to have all that funding? Is it an investment type model? What yes. are the ways that you um, sustain and then you keep growing the business? Yeah. Yeah. With the organization. <laughs> Demi, we are opportunistic. We take money from whatever place we can. <laughs> so uh, yeah, let's be real. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, we, we try to do a, a couple of different things, right? So we're a social enterprise. Um, our structure is that we have some nonprofit parts of the business and we have some for-profit parts of the business and we have a bit of a cross subsidy. Um, so, you know, foundations and donors are not going away. Um, and we have shifted from seeing those as like people that we have to be, um, you know, just to, to sort of beg for money from to actually shift that mindset and say like, okay, these guys can be legitimate customers, right? So we have shared interests, shared values, um, and we're going to treat donors as a customer segment. Um, so that's on one side. On the other side, um, you know, obviously we've got entrepreneurs that we're serving. Um, clients pay for our services. So that's just like a straight up fee for service. So somebody can walk in off the street and say, hey, I want to be a client and sign up for training and consulting. So we, we do that as like a, a package. And then we also have our loan fund and we charge interest on our loan fund. Um, notably though, uh, the, the investor that we have gives us really great rates on our, known, on our lending um, so that we can also pass that on to the entrepreneur. So in, in East Africa, interest rates on loans are super high, especially for young entrepreneurs who may not have collateral to put forward. So for us, we are doing about half of what the market rate is on lending because we have been able to broker good relationships with 
another investor that has a lot of social impact focus. Um, so we, we piece it together in different places. We've got funders, we've got entrepreneurs, we've got the loan fund, we've got corporate contracts. Uh, we are incubating a project in our office. And so we've got that. So, um, you know, but through it all, and I, I think it's important to also say, like, even though we have a blended financing model, it's important for us to stay true to what we do. Because when you start chasing money in different places, you lose your, well, you lose your mind. <laughs> you, you lose your mind, you lose your focus, you dilute your quality. Um, so even though it's a blended financing, we are still true to our values. We're true to our product. Uh, we're true to our quality. And that's that's really important for us um, as so we piece together. you're saying no to some money, yeah? That's what you're saying. <laughs> There's some money you say no to. You know, it reminded we me do. of a conversation. Uh, somebody said the king's shillings, the king's beatings. I think it was Blaine Sharp who said that once i guess because yeah. as you were talking about it seeing donors some of the donors as customers as well you have to execute but it's good to know as well that and i'm sure that that's not been like very super easy thing to do especially where you feel like hey we could use this money to do a lot more good and uh yeah. we could use this money to create a lot more impact so it's certainly a tight decision and i and i want to sort of like ask a general question because i know there's like pieces of um questions in here so you're talking 13 offices and i think looking at your report last year you were probably working with uh, maybe fifteen thousand entrepreneurs or something i can remember the exact yeah. number which, yeah, is, yeah. which is like massive stuff you know yeah. and um I'm, I'm curious and with all those challenges you're running a social enterprise that's impactful that is working with vulnerable populations but then you have all those different stakeholders what have you what are what are what have you learned? Like, what are, if you were to highlight, so number one, what are the biggest challenges, right? But also what are the, uh, I know it's not one or two things that are the top strategies. There's never one or two things, but if there's anything for anybody who's trying to run the same thing or do the same thing, what is yeah. like some of the strategic things that work? So challenges, two biggest challenges, and perhaps two things that have really helped you to bring it this far. Yeah, uh, I think, you know, so my job as the COO is really on the day-to-day -day operations, right? So we're, um, my co-founder, she does a lot of the strategy and uh, she works with our board and our investors. I do a lot of the day-to-day -day operations, making sure the lights are on, making sure the technology works, making sure we've got the contracts sorted and HR. And I think for me, um, the rate of growth. So the, for the past few years, we've doubled the size of our staff um, every year. And we've been adding new programs and adding new offices. And I think it just the just keeping up with the need, keeping up with the interest has been a lot. Um, so like our HR team this year, we're hiring 86 new staff. Our HR team is like hustling to try to find the right people. So if anybody, if anybody listening is looking for a job, AfricanEntrepreneurCollective.org backslash careers. Um, Love it. We, Good stuff. Yeah, <laughs> just gonna put a plug in there for that. Um, yeah. But you know, continuing to find people who uh, want to grow with us, right? And and for us, it's finding the right person who has a mix of the sort of the spirit and the cultural aspects that we have, like, you know, the, there are a lot of companies out there who are doing business development, right? But the way we do it and 
how we like what we believe is what sets us aside from from different companies. Every company has their own culture. Um, some of us do things better or worse than others, but finding enough colleagues in enough different places who have the skills and the culture fit is a daily like I'm like always recruiting for people. Um, so I think that's something that I love, but we've also had to challenge ourselves to be really creative, right? So we've got a leadership development academy. We get awesome people in and then we develop them. Um, I had somebody say to me the other day, they're like, you know, what happens if you, um, you know, you invest all of this into a staff person and then they leave. And, uh, we had a coach that said to us one time, like, well, what happens if you don't invest in people and they stay? <laughs> right? So like investing yeah. in people is super, super critical. Um, so that is something that's always on my mind. Um, no, that's good. And Demi, I lost your second question there. <laughs> so, no, it was, it was really, and I think it's a two way thing. You, one of the challenges is getting the good people all the right people with the culture fit, yeah, the right but also what are the things that you think you've done well um, mm -hmm. to keep this going, right? Like tooting your own in the way, but also like just sharing yeah. and say, do this. Yeah. yeah. The other thing I think we've done really well is we found really good people. <laughs> so we, we actually, <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, we're a awesome. consulting company, right? Like we're not yeah, making true. a product like, you know, strawberry jam or, um, you know, putting, assembling a bicycle, right? Like our people are one, that's why it's the most important thing to me and the hardest thing. And it's also the thing that I'm most proud of is our, our team is awesome. Um, so good. I would recommend to anybody, any organization, uh, any company that wants to grow, invest in your people, invest in your people, invest in your people, um, because you are nothing without your people. Um, so that that's, I would recommend to everybody. That's a good point. People, people. Now, this is good stuff. Sarah, there's definitely a lot I can ask you about AEC, and I know there's a lot of juicy more stuff, even going down the people and the culture and the decisions and all that. But I want to go back to you doing this work right now and how you got to this place. Did you always have a passion for this kind of work, like living miles from home and then coming to getting to the refugee camps, doing the due diligence yeah. and the question and putting my, what, what, how did you, how did you get here? Yeah. yeah. So, uh, I was living in San Francisco and this was like in 2010, I was living in San Francisco. And, um, at that time it was like, there was so much money from tech companies, um, getting thrown around to startups. Right. So just lots of money moving around. And this was even after sort of the tech boom had slowed down a little bit, but there was still so many resources. And so you saw all of these guys with just, you know, a PowerPoint idea, just getting funding to try all kinds of things. And, and, you know, when I first moved to San Francisco, I went there because of, uh, there were like a lot of really cool organizations doing innovative things. And after a while, it just felt like, it's just this sort of big money game and not really not really connecting the innovations to real people. So I got sort of burned out. Um, and my colleague Julian and I uh, decided to leave San Francisco, 
go and travel through West Africa. So she had done her undergraduate degree at, um, uh, she had spent part of her time in at University of Cape Town. And she had spent some of her MBA working for African Leadership Academy, which, which you know well. Um, and then I had also, my undergraduate degree was in African literature. So we had both through various different ways um, had connected with the continent. So we started off in West Africa, and after uh, after a little bit of time, we we ended up in Mali, and we uh, met a lot of amazing young people who had great ideas. And in particular, there was this one guy. He was a he was a tour guide. He was literally responsible for walking us around. We were doing this this hike, and and so we spent a couple of days just talking to this guy named Asige. And he was a graduate student, um, but the university school teachers were on strike. And so he was uh, then doing this tour guide work, but there were all of these travel and trade warnings from the French government. Um, And where we were hiking around, he was able to show us very clearly that there was a lot of drought. So here's this like young guy, super thoughtful and creative. We've got trade embargoes, uh, drought, teacher strikes. Um, and then there's also some, at that time, some strife and some conflict happening in, in Northern Mali and Timbuktu. So it was just in such stark contrast of what was happening in San Francisco, right? So here's this guy, he's got a great idea. He's like, I'm a tour guide. He's like, I can make as much money as I can hustling you guys by walking you around. But I was running a business, if I was running a hotel, I'd be hiring my brother. I'd have, you know, many customers at a time. I'd be able to charge food in the restaurant. And he was like, but I just, he's like, I don't know how to get the capital. I don't know how to find the customers and connect to the global market. And I also need support in operations because I've never done this before. And it was, and it was just so clear, like talking with, talking with Asige that he had the passion, he knew the community, he knew he had a plan, he had a vision, he even knew who he was going to hire. Um, and it was just like, just the imbalance of resources. And that felt unfair and unjust, and also like something that we could do something about. Um, so we, that was, that was really kind of the, the starting point. And about a year and a half later, um, we did, <laughs> We did go to those San Francisco investors with our PowerPoint and we got some resources and uh, launched in Rwanda as our first as our first site 10 years ago. So this is our 10 year anniversary now um, since opening up a small office uh, above a Chinese grocery store in downtown Kigali. Um, And now we're we've got 200 staff uh, all over the place. So it's been quite a journey, but um, you know, those first entrepreneurs that you meet and inspire you, like you never forget those guys. Yeah, no, that's such a powerful story. Um, and it just reminds me of the fact, like you're saying, um, talent might be distributed, but opportunity is not always yeah. distributed the same way that talent is. And um, no, that's good. And that that inspired you all and uh, to come this far. And for you, because you talked about some of the work that you were doing. So was this like, did you suddenly feel like you found a new mission where, mm-hmm. okay, this is something I want to give my life to you? Or how did 
How did you take that on gradually? And over time, what has that meant for you? Yeah, um, I think there is a theme in my career that is about um, believing in what's possible for people. Um, so I think that has shown up in different ways, right? So obviously building affordable housing looks like one thing or doing education advocacy and equity looks like another thing. But the underlying current is still the this um notion and not just notion, the reality in our world is that people have differential access to resources. And a lot of times uh, there's way too many value judgments put out there in the world around um, who somebody is, where they're from, what their current situation is, and and what kind of access to resources they have. So that has been consistent throughout my career. Um, and actually, when we decided to launch AEC, I, uh, I, I didn't feel ready for it. I was like, I've been working, I haven't been working in Africa before. I've been working in San Francisco. I have never run a business accelerator before. Who am I to show up and say, I know what I'm talking about. So I actually, um, when we started, uh, two things needed to happen. One, we needed to set all of our organizational values and principles around being humble, right? Like, we had to come in and connect with our staff and our clients and our communities and learn from them. So this was not about me showing up with the idea or, you know, having all the plans. So it was literally around facilitating individuals and communities to have the resources to do what they already know that their communities need. That wasn't my place to do it. And we actually, we would have, you know, in those early days, we would have some people come in and say, I want to be an entrepreneur. What should we do? What should I do? And we would be like, we can't tell you. Like, you have to know. <laughs> you have to know what your community needs. I don't know. You know. Um, so we we had to have that belief system. And then the other thing is I needed to go get some skills. So I uh, we got the organization started, but I said, okay, I need to go to grad school. Um, so I did an MBA. And then I had the chance to do a fellowship with um, an impact investment firm in Mumbai. Um, so very different, obviously, from the East African context, but another social enterprise investment fund focused on um, emerging market businesses. And so I was able to learn a lot there. So I had to go get some skills and uh, also be humble about our approach to be able to, to do this work better. It's good stuff. It's good. And in terms of all the readiness, I know, again, this might be, I, I'm just curious to hear from your personal circumstances, how, because you were doing a job in San Francisco, I can imagine you were paid a certain amount. Um, <laughs> did you immediately resume and start cutting the same paycheck? And oh, God. Why you, why Demi, you, I <laughs> 10 years later, you, and I still don't. <laughs> Did you, did you have like stacks of savings or did you have like generous people? Cause you know, like there's other people that are trying to either like venture into something that um, is either going to create opportunity for others or even like start their own businesses or start their own ventures. And they're moving in between what is feels fairly comfortable, right? So what was it like for you? How did you make the adjustments uh, from that space to this awesome phase, so to speak? Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and I think that that is a very real question. I mean, there's 
they're entrepreneurs by choice and they're entrepreneurs by necessity, right? A lot of the communities that we work with, people are entrepreneurs because there are not enough jobs, right? And that's part of what makes me want to do this work is so that entrepreneurs can continue to create jobs. So, you know, when I'm saying, oh, we have 200 staff, I'm super proud of that because I think that's a, that's, I'm, I feel really good about that contribution um, and, and being able to have an awesome team. Um, uh, yeah, but I mean, there are entrepreneurs by by choice and they're entrepreneurs by necessity. Um, and I was certainly in a position to be able to choose to do that. So I, I had some savings, um, but then certainly having savings and then uh, going to grad school, I ended up taking out loans and needing to pay those off. So we, I mean, we started AEC and we've just sort of slowly built it. Um, and every year we try to make sure that all of our staff, including myself, um, that we have, you know, are building enough to be able to pay people more and more every year. Um, but people, <laughs> I actually had a conversation with somebody today and he was like, you know, people, this was a colleague of mine. He was like, people don't work at AEC because of the salary. Um, but he's like, but you get development, you get autonomy, you get purpose, you get a sense of achievement. And um, it's interesting if you look at some of the studies related to what makes people happy, those are some of the things, like the feeling of like um, uh, some autonomy, like you can choose your your time, your task or your team, right? Certainly as an entrepreneur, you have a lot of that autonomy. You can, you can choose where you're going to with that. Um, align to a sense of purpose, something that you're working for something bigger than yourself. That's really important to me. Um, uh, a sense of achievement, right? Like achievement is not about doing something easy and being like, Ding! but achievement is that feeling where you face something hard and you overcame it. And, you know, no, no shortage of that for entrepreneurs, right? It's that feeling of overcoming challenges. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the, the decision to be an entrepreneur for those people who are, who are entrepreneurs by choice um, you have to balance what your finances are, what's possible. Um, and it's, you know, I think it's irresponsible for me to say like, oh, just throw caution to the wind and jump in and do it. And your passion will feed you. You know, that, that's, you know, people have a lot of responsibilities um, and need to take care of themselves and their families. But I, I do hope that people can also find a way if they've got a good product, um, you know, I, I, we have one of our entrepreneurs always says like, start small, dream big, right? But if you're starting with yeah. something and testing it out, if it works and seeing where it goes and, you know, dream big, but start realistic and small. Yeah, that's good. That's a good one. That's a good one. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you was like, so, sometimes passion can sting you rather than feed you, but <laughs> if you don't get it the right way, and I'm sorry, this is this is this has been good, and I know that I have a lot more that I want to ask, and I, I know there's a lot more you want probably want to share, but I'm really getting pressed by time, and so um maybe one or two more questions, and this is really like for you, um, what 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 are now like you having to do this, so. This is the first question I wanted to ask. So you've been doing AEC alone all these years. Is, is that correct? Or what are the other things you've done along the line? Has AEC followed your income and impact 
bucket sufficiently enough for you to say this is the only thing I do all this year? This is my 150% job. <laughs> so yeah, so AEC is full-time and then some. Um, so this is this is my thing. And and you know, we had a couple times when I was when we were starting this that we would have investors sort of test us and say like, well, what were you, what would you be doing if you weren't doing AEC? And it was like, I'm, I can't even entertain that idea. Cause this is like, we're in it right now, blood, sweat, and tears. Like I can't, you know, got to cut out any other options or what else we're going to do. Cause this is, this is it. So, yeah, I mean, I have, I definitely have other interests and curiosities and hobbies and I'm, you know, thinking about what's the potential for a next business, but so far it's been AEC or best for me for, for the past 10 years. I, I want to hear that one now. Now I'm, because my last question was going to be about all these and like, what keeps you grounded? What gives you joy? What are the things that I mean, it's this craziness running a business that has 13 offices, keeping operations on and, um, with with more than 200 stuff certainly like it's draining so what are the things that keep you give you joy that keep you centered balanced what are the practices and stuff but i also yeah. want to hear about what's this new business idea you might be incubating but let's start with yeah <laughs> Uh, Demi, I am not a good person to give people advice about work-life balance. Like that is not that is not a skill set I have very much. Thanks for uh, honesty. Yeah, so go go look someplace else, guys, if you want those tips. I cannot give those to you. Uh, but but I do like to cook. Um, love to cook for people. That is something I love to do. Um, and I do yoga. So that, those are sort of the two things that I can fit into my day. Um, but right now I'm interested, um, <laughs> I'm interested in beekeeping, Demi, uh, and I, I've shared a little bit about this with you, but yeah. I, I find bees really fascinating and it is completely. Why wouldn't you? <laughs> it makes I, sense because you, the bees are working all the time. I'm kidding. <laughs> Please go for they it. Are. They are. They are. They took the yeah. winter off. So that's about it. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, you know, I'm fascinated by bees right now. And, the, you know, it's like one of those things where they, where you, like, you have a little bit of knowledge and you, you're sort of dangerous because you think you know it all. And I think the more I'm learning about bees and beekeeping, the more fascinated I become. So uh, if, if your listeners will indulge me, um, bees are the only, the only insect that produces something that we consume. So there's silkworms that obviously produce silk, but the, the bee is the only thing that we that we you know ingest or consume. Um, and a honeybee, in the course of her whole life, uh, will create one eighth of a tablespoon of honey. So the whole concept of a hive is that everybody has to work together to make it successful. And over the, the course of a bee's lifetime, she'll move from different roles. She'll start off as a nurse bee taking care of the baby bees. Then she'll become a guard bee to like watch the outside of the hive. And then she'll become a forager bee to go bring back pollen and nectar. But just the complicated ways that bees communicate, organize, they have systems, I don't know. I'm sort of I'm sort of fascinated by bees right now. So I feel like there's a 
there's a honey company in my future. Um, so we'll, we'll see where that ends up, but very, very different than anything I've done before. That's for sure. That, that sounds exciting. And I love the way that, you know, you talk about it and there's certainly passion in this, but now we, I also have, an, I was going to say there's a book in there somewhere or something, but now um, there's probably a business as well <laughs> that's yeah. coming out of that. Yeah. I, I am. Um, one of the things I'm really interested in is the, the differences between uh, global beekeeping traditions in indigenous communities and the Western approaches to doing beekeeping. Um, so the, you know, in a lot of communities, people will recognize the sort of traditional hives and in a lot of places in East Africa, it's this sort of hollowed out uh, basket that's put into trees and um, it's affordable. It's, uh, you know, people have knowledge that they pass to each other about it. Um, but one of the problems with that is that to extract the honey, you have to sort of crush the wax and it takes a lot of energy for the bees to recreate all of that wax. So you're actually decreasing the productivity as a beekeeper when your bees are spending time actually reproducing that wax. So the efficiency of the bee has an economic impact for the beekeeper. But the modern hives are expensive. They're technical um, they're sort of hard to access, hard to use. And so those aren't really a product that's appropriate for a lot of communities, even though you can get more honey out of them and you can get more, um, you know, the bees are more productive. So I'm fascinated by how do we um, continue to improve productivity and livelihoods, but at the same time, go back to that notion of all problems on the continent have solutions on the continent. Like what are the, what are the ways that communities already are doing this in a, a meaningful way. So that's the next, the next question I'm trying to figure Quest. out. So if anybody watching yeah. this is a beekeeper, please contact me. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Please talk to Sarah. <laughs> uh, tips are on beekeeping. Sarah, no, thanks for this. This has really been good. Uh, listeners, you just uh, got, I mean, maybe an introduction to beekeeping and got to share the excitement of a beekeeper, I guess, contagious. Uh, but Sarah, this has really been good. Thank you so much for coming to share with us. There's tons of lessons in okay. everything that you've said. And um, I hope to have you back again. There's questions I still have for you. So looking forward to um, coming back to share. But this has been Rich. Thank you again for joining us. Demi, thank you so much. And next time, I hope I can interview you. <laughs> oh yeah, that would be cool. See yeah. how that goes. <laughs> yeah, all these questions that you've got awesome answers too. <laughs> Thanks, Thanks, Demi. Thanks for awesome. It's been a it's been a good show. Thank you all for listening. This is a Plan Repreneur podcast, and we've had Sarah Leadum, CEO of African Entrepreneur Collective, on the show. And till I come your way again, keep looking at planbepreneur.com for more episodes. Share this show if it was exciting and helpful for you. And uh, do give us feedback as we continue to bring more shows to you. And so I'll say bye for now. Keep creating impact and income. Thank you.